Chapter Twenty Three of the Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John Conrad Hutchison. Chapter Twenty Three. Within Hail. But George, is that so? ejaculated the skipper, starting off with a mad clutch at his cap, which he had thrown off on to a locker close by in the heat of its excitement during the colonel's yarn. "'I'll be on the bridge in a jiffy. Thank God for that news!' "'Hooray!' shouted Garry O'Neill, as we all immediately jumped from our seats on hearing this joyful intelligence, long though it had been in coming. Even the poor colonel, sliding his bandaged leg off its supporting chair and standing on his feet, prepared to follow the skipper on deck without a moment's delay. "'By the powers! I knew we'd overhaul them devils before sundown. Faith, and I told you so, Colonel. I told you so. You know I did.' But just then an unexpected interruption arrested us as we all moved toward the companionway to regain the deck above. "'Look here, Colonel!' cried a voice from the skipper's stateroom aft, where the commander of the Saint-Pierre was supposed to be reposing in an almost insensible condition. "'Get out of here! You're not worth being angry with!' "'Begora, it's your poor friend in there,' said Garry O'Neill to the colonel. "'What's the poor creature parlez-vousing about instead of sleeping like a Christian when he's got the chance? Sure I'll have to stop his jonder in there or he'll never get better.' "'Stay a moment. He's beginning again, poor fellow,' remarked the colonel, holding up his hand. "'Listen!' "'You villains! Take that!' called out the Frenchman in a louder key and in a tone of anger as if battling with the blacks on board the Saint-Pierre over again, and then, after a pause, we heard a piteous cry. "'My God! They are going to shoot me! Look! Look! To the rescue, Colonel! Quickly! Quickly! To the rescue!' "'Bedad, he's in a bad way entirely,' said Garry, as he and the Colonel, with myself at their heels, entered the after-cabin where we saw Captain Alphonse sitting in the skipper's cot and gesticulating frantically. "'What can he be after saying now, sir?' "'He is going over the boat scene on the poop of our unfortunate vessel when the Haitian blacks, as I told you, made at him and the other sailor before I rushed up from below. Too late to save him, poor fellow,' explained the colonel. "'He's calling out for help, as I suppose he did then, though I didn't hear him.' "'It sounds mighty queer, anyhow,' continued the Irishman. "'Is there, is at it again. "'What does that extraordinary lingo mean now? "'I can't make hide nor tail of it now. "'Hoist the flag immediately. "'Close pearls the main topsail,' exclaimed the poor wounded man in short jerky sentences, as he sat up there in the swinging cot with his hands tearing at the bandage that was bound round his head, looking as if he had just risen from the dead and reminding me of a picture I once saw depicting the raising of Lazarus. His eyes were rolling, too, in wild delirium, and after gazing at us fixedly for a second or two without a sign of recognition on his pallid face, he fell back prostrate again on the mattress, crying out in a pitiful wail, "'Alas for the ship! Too late! Too late! Too late!' "'Heavens!' said the colonel, turning to Garry. "'Can't you do anything for him?' "'Well, I'll put something cooler on the dressing, "'and that'll make the poor chap's head easier,' "'replied the other, suiting the action to the word. "'Ice, sure, it'd be better. "'But, faith, 
there isn't a morsel aboard whatever he did apply however had a quieting influence and presently after tossing from side to side convulsively captain alphonse closed his great staring eyes and began to snore stertorously heaven be praised cried colonel vereker he's sleeping again now faith and at a good job too for him poor creature said gary he's in a bad way i tell you sir and he'd better die easy when he's about it sure than kicking up a row that won't help him what uh, returned the colonel do you think he's going to die begorra all the doctors in the world wouldn't save him my poor friend my poor friend cried the colonel i will stay with him then to the end so as to soothe his last moments there was evidently a struggle going on in colonel vereker's mind between his desire to do his duty as he thought to the dying man and his natural anxiety to be on deck participating in all the excitement of the chase after the runaway ship and the coming fight with the haitians when the black rascals would be called to a final account for all the misery and bloodshed they had caused gary o'neill saw this and pooh-poohed the idea of the colonel remaining below faith there isn't the least bit of good sir in your stopping down here at all at all said he in his brisk energetic way the poor chap won't be after stirring again for the next two hours or more and if he does be dead he won't recognize you or any one else for that matter but sir doctor holy moses i tell you colonel there ain't no use in your stopping another minute impatiently cried the good-natured irishman interrupting his half-hearted expostulator just you clear out of this at once and go on deck and say the fightin' with those murderin' blackguards i'll mind me patient now till that old thief weston's finished all the scraps left in the plates and bottles from lunch and then faith with he shall take charge of him and i'll come up too and say the fun now be off with you colonel dear you'll say the poor chap again after the rumpus is over dick held in me darling in the colonel the loan of your arm alanna there now off you both go away with ye so saying he fairly pushed us out of the cabin and the colonel limping by my side and using my shoulder as a crutch as he had previously done we both went up the companionway and gained the poop the scene here presented a striking contrast to what we had just left the fresh air bright sun and sparkling sea all speaking of life and movement in exchange for the stuffy atmosphere of the darkened saloon and its association of illness and approaching death a stiff breeze was blowing now from the southern and running as we were to the northern right before it the skipper had ordered all our square sails forward to be set so as to take every advantage of the wind in addition to our steam power the old barky prancing away full speed ahead with her topsails and fore canvas bellied out to their utmost extent their leech lifting occasionally with a flicker as she outran the breeze and the clue gallant blocks rattling as the sheets slackened and grew taut again while the wind hummed through the canvas aloft like a thousand bees buzzing about the rigging the black smoke too was rushing up the funnel and whirling in the air overhead uncertain which direction to take from the speed of the vessel inclining it to trail away aft while the stiff southerly breeze blew it forward so we carried it all along with us hung up above our dog vane like an awning as we careered onwards raising a deep furrow of swelling water on either side as we cut through the dancing sunlit waves and leaving a long white wake astern that shone through the blue 
far away behind in the distance to where sea and sky melted into one far away on the horizon line old masters the boatswain was on the poop when the colonel and i came up from below in the very act of hauling in the patent log to ascertain our speed well said i as he looked at the index of the ungainly thing which is something of a cross between a shark hook and a miniature screw propeller what's she doing boatswain doing what's she doing on sir he replied repeating my own words and mouthing them over with much gusto why sir she's going sixteen knots still and the bloomin' old grampus has been keeping it up since four bells she carries the wind with her too for just as we bore up north a while ago astern the chase i'm blessed if the breeze didn't shift round likewise to the southern keeping astern of us as before where is the chase i asked not being able to see forwards on account of the swelling foresail and other intervening objects i suppose she's right ahead eh no sir no just come alongside here of me at the taffrail said he now follow me finger sir look there she is two points off our starboard bow she was hulled down just now but we're raising her fast sir <laughs> see there she'd be right under the foreyard there i looked in the direction he indicated and could very faintly in the distance see something white like a sail almost out of sight on the ocean ahead but masters said i having no glass with me to bring her nearer and seeing she was too far off for me to distinguish her with the naked eye are you certain she's the same craft uh, certain master haldane he answered solemnly i <laughs> as certain as that when we goes aboard her as go aboard her we must we shall both be a-going to our death that's the ghost ship master haldane as you and i've seed three times before may i die this minute if she ain't die don't talk such nonsense masters it ain't no nonsense mr haldane he retorted and looking the picture of misery and unhappiness that there ship means no good to you nor me nor to none of them as seed her afore i knows it's her sure enough no mortal ship could sail on like that continually since friday right afore the wind and still all it'd be a cross in our hawser though her canvas be tore to ribbons and never a man aboard as we've seed it ain't natural nohow ah, she be the ghost ship and no mistake and god help us all I noticed at the moment a telescope lying on the top of the saloon skylight, which Mr. Fawcett must have left behind him in his haste when he came up from the bridge to hail the skipper and then hurried back to his post. So quickly catching up the glass, I scanned the distant sail, which grew more perceptible every minute. Yes, there was no doubt about it. She was a full-rigged ship running before the wind, but going a bit every now and then off her course as if under no proper guidance or management while all her sails were torn and hanging anyhow, and her spars and rigging apparently at sixes and sevens as though she'd been terribly mauled by the weather. "'For heaven's sakes, tell me!' cried the colonel, who had approached me unobserved while I was looking through the telescope. "'Tell me, is she there? Can you see her?' "'Yes, sir,' 
said I. I can see her, and it's the same ship I saw the other night. It is the Saint-Pierre. Ha! he exclaimed, his black eyes flashing in a passion that made him forget his lameness, as he strode to the side of the vessel where, resting one hand on the rail, he shook the other menacingly at the ill-fated craft, now with her hull well above the horizon. Ah, you black devils, we'll settle you at last. Meanwhile, the skipper, who had gone up to join Mr. Fawcett on the bridge after leaving us below so suddenly, was making his way aft again, and on the colonel turning round from the rail, he found him at his back, looking over his shoulder at the ship we were approaching. The skipper was all agog with excitement. By George! he exclaimed. We're closing on her fast now, colonel. How soon, Senor Applegarth, do you think we'll be before we're alongside of her? Oh, in about half an hour at the outside, sir, unless something gives way. We would have been up to her before if she had been lying too. But she's going ahead too, like ourselves, and not making bad way either, considering the state she's in aloft and her yaw in this way and that. It is wonderful how she keeps on. Dear, oh dear, she's possessed, as your companion here said just now to young Senor Haldane. Oh, you mustn't mind what the boatswain says, observed the skipper. He's chock full of the old superstitions of the sea, and makes mountains out of molehills. The deuce! He's not far wrong about the Saint-Pierre, though, for if ever a ship had the devil aboard, I'm sure she has, in the shape of that villainous black marquis. "'Then the sooner the better for us to see about Scotch and your devil,' cried the skipper with a laugh that meant business, I knew. "'I'm now going to call the hands aft and prepare for the fight, and they shall have it hot, I can tell you,' said he. "'Have you got arms enough for them, sir? Those rascals will make a stubborn resistance, and there's a big lot of them still left in the ship, remember.' The skipper laughed outright at this. Oh, oh, Lord bless you, Colonel, said he. <laughs> the steamers of our line are fitted out in their way very like men of war, and I have enough rifles and cutlasses in the arm chest below to rig out more than twice the number of crew we carry, besides revolvers for all the officers. This, however, will be short and sharp work, as we're going to run your black devils by the beard, so I shall only serve out cutlasses. "'But you'll spare me a revolver, Senor Applegartha. "'I left mine, as you are aware, behind me,' said he, with a smile. "'And I should like to have another shot or two at my friend, the Marquis.' "'Aye, aye, Colonel, you shall have one, and a good one, too. "'And so shall all those who know how to use a pistol properly. "'But for close hand-to-hand fighting, I prefer cold steel myself.' "'Colonel Vereker joined in the skipper's grim chuckle, which suited his mood well.' "'Yes, sir, that's true,' he rejoined. "'But a revolver isn't to be sneezed at all the same.' "'No, Colonel, your leg will bear witness to that,' said the skipper as he turned on me. "'Run down quickly, Haldane, to the arm-chest in my stateroom. Here are the keys, and pick out a dozen or so cutlasses and boarding-pikes, and a revolver apiece for all on the quarter-deck and half a dozen rounds of ammunition. You can get Weston to help you bring the lot up here.' Look smart, I want to serve them out at once, as we're now coming up with the chase, and there's no time to lose. Down I scuttled into the saloon with the skipper's bunch of keys, and, calling the steward to help me, went into the after-cabin, where Gary O'Neill still remained, wetting the bandage round the head of the French captain, and doing it, too, with greater delicacy of touch than the most experienced and flippant of hospital nurses. Gary was delighted when I told him what I came about. 
holy moses he ejaculated why that's the very job for me sure here whiston you ugly thief of a son of a gun come here there's going to be some rare fighting on deck presently and as i know ye don't like to be after spoiling that beautiful mug of yours you just sit here down here alan and mind this poor chap here till i come below again whilst i help mr haldane too with them murdering arms that give one a cold chill faith to look at <laughs> bad cess to em he gave me a sly wink as he said this which was unperceived by weston who accepted the proposed change of duty with an alacrity that showed he had no stomach for warfare procedure and gary and i very speedily took up a bundle of weapons each on to the poop laying them down close beside the skipper who stood against the rail ah doctor said the colonel who was sitting down near by on the skylight hatchway resting himself before the battle should begin on seeing gary come up the companion how's my friend now faith he's still unconscious replied he handing him a big revolver with a cartridge belt attached ah sure i spect he'll remain so too colonel till you've had your time to polish off the rest of them scoundrels we're after indeed it's going off like the poor creature will be i'm afraid when it comes to the end i don't think he'll either spake or move again in this life but gary was mistaken in this diagnosis of his as events turned out but ere he could say another word just then as the colonel was going to make a reply to him the skipper hammering on the deck with a marlin spike to attract attention and give a hail at the very top of his voice that made all of us jump it was so loud and unexpected forward he shouted in stentorian tones that rang fore and aft like a trumpet bosun send the hands aft say captain sang out mr fawcett from the bridge shall i call up the fellows down below in the stokehold sir ay ring the engine room gong i want every man jack on deck that mr stokes can spare tell him so while old masters was sounding his boatswain's pipe and while busy feet were tramping aft the men were beginning to cluster in the waist immediately below the back of the poop and here captain applegar stood stern and erect like an old lion his cap off and his wavy grey hair fluffed out over his head by the wind while this was happening we could hear the distant sound of the engine-room bell and then there came a hail from mr fawcett mr stokes is sending up every one from below sir yelled out the first mate he says he can manage by himself now that we're nearly up to the chase with the help of a couple of the other firemen and the engineers and stokers the whole lot of them in a batch have volunteered to come on deck and join the boarding party that's your sort my hearty cried the skipper enthusiastically looking down at the sea of excited faces below gazing up expectantly at his awaiting the stirring words they knew to be coming all having got wind of the approaching fray now men i have summoned a lot of you aft because well because i've got something to say to you bully for you old man exclaimed one of the men amidst a grand roar while i could distinguish distinctly above the other voices of the crew Acra Prout, the mulatto cook's laugh, as he called out approvingly, "'Golly, that's so, sonny!' "'Heavens!' ejaculated Colonel Vereker, seemingly, like myself, to recognize the voice at once. "'Who's that?' said he sharply. Acra Prout, who stood a head taller than any other of the men clustered around him, caught sight of the Colonel as the latter cast his eyes downwards. Rising from his seat and coming to the side of the skipper, 
and the mulatto's eyes grew as large as saucers, while his eyeballs rolled into light, and his wide mouth extended itself from ear to ear. "'Bless the Lord!' he cried out, with Oliver Darkey's emphatic enthusiasm, breaking into a huge guffaw that was almost hysterical. "'Bless the Lord! Is the massa! Is Mas Verica from the plantation for sure!' "'Yes, it's me, myself, sure enough, Prout, and I'm right glad to see you,' said the Colonel, equally delighted." "'There, Senor Applegarth, didn't I tell you any of my old Louisiana hands would like to see me again, in spite of what I said about those infernal niggers who seized our ship?' "'Aye, you did, Colonel, you did,' replied the skipper, waving his hand in the air. "'But never mind that now. I'm going to speak to the crew.' "'Now, me boys, all together!' cried Gary O'Neill, looking over the top of the booby hatch over the companionway. Three cheers for the captain! Hooray! "'Hooray!' roared the lot below with a kindred enthusiasm. Hooray! Hooray! We're almost within hail of the chase now, sir, sang out Mr. Fawcett from the bridge when the echo of the last deafening cheer had died away. I'm going to slow down so that we can sheer up alongside. That's just what I was waiting for, said the skipper in answer to this. Now, men, you see that ship ahead of us? Aye, called out the foremost hand who had before spoken, the usual leader and the wit of the forecastle, "'The ghost ship, Captain! "'We'll ghost ship, devil ship, or whatever she may be, my lads, "'we're going to board her and rescue a young lady, "'a child in age, the daughter of my friend Colonel Verica here, "'and a lot of white men like yourselves "'who are now at the mercy of a gang of black demons "'who have murdered the rest of the passengers and crew "'and taken possession of the vessel. "'Are you going to stand by me, lads?' His answer was another deafening cheer, heartier and louder even than the first. "'Ah, I thought I could reckon on your help,' cried the skipper in a tone of proud satisfaction, glancing around at the colonel. "'I have got your tools handy for you too, my lads, and if you will come up to the poop in single file by the port ladder, going down again by the starboard gangway, each shall be supplied in turn. Mr. O'Neill, please serve out the cutlasses and boarding pikes.' Now, my men, way aloft, there. Single file, and no question, mind, and we'll get the job done all the quicker. Ere he had finished speaking, the arming of the men had already begun, and within a few minutes the cutlasses and long boarding pikes had all been distributed, every man having some weapon. Now, bosun, pipe them into their stations, sang out the skipper, who appeared to have already matured his plan of action. Starboard watch forward. Port watch aft, and all the stokers and firemen amidships under the bridge. Have a couple of hands, too, in the forechains, with a hawser and a grapnel, ready to make fast to the ship when we come alongside her. Aye, aye, sir, hailed back masters. Starboard watch, ahoy, away forwards, with you along with me. Our engines had already slackened speed, and the helm being put down, we came up to the wind, to leeward of the ship, and not a half cable's length away from her, broadside on. "'Stand by there, forward!' shouted the skipper. "'Ship ahoy there! Surrender, or we'll run you aboard!' A 
wild savage yell came back in reply from a number of half-naked negroes who were mustered on the after part of the vessel as well as on the forecastle not a single white man being visible while her tricolor flag so conspicuous before and which i fancied having seen but half an hour or so previously when looking at her through the telescope was now no longer to be seen could our worst fears have been realized another savage yell almost confirmed the thought heavens exclaimed colonel vereker rendered almost frantic with grief and excitement and noticing the appalling evidence of the haitian's triumph while we stared aghast at each other my poor darling child and those brave fellows i left behind where are they all where are they for god's sake find them alas alas those black devils have murdered them all End of chapter twenty three